You're listening to Misunderstood Podcast, where we're setting the record straight on all things misunderstood. I'm your host, Kelly Hall, pageant runner-up, model, speaker, entrepreneur, pageant queen, and U.S. Navy lieutenant. I may have never won a Miss USA title, but I am the queen of being misunderstood. Welcome to the show, guys. Hey, guys, what is up, world? I am back with another episode of Misunderstood. I have Jessica Bishop on the show today. She is the writer of the Budget Savvy Wedding Planner and Organizer, and she's going to be talking to us about exactly what to focus on for your budget and priorities for your wedding. Jessica, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Kelly. I'm super honored to be here. Absolutely. You, well, I'm honored to have you because you're like, you know, insanely legit. You have this incredible book at our disposal to use. Clearly you're an expert in the field and, you know, this is, this is overwhelming, you know, for any bride to be, this, as this is my first wedding I've ever planned. I've been to a ton. I've been in like nine. I'm a wedding <laughs> photographer. Like I'm not, I'm not any foreign to the ideas of weddings, but starting it and doing it myself and being a bride, it's just, it's very overwhelming. So let's just get right into why, why did you write this book? You know, it's very helpful. It's gorgeous. Congratulations, by the way, you did a terrific job, but why did you get into budget savvy wedding planning specifically? So to take it way back to the beginning, honestly, I started my website first, which is okay. budgetsavvybride.com. And I actually started blogging as a bride myself back in oh. 2000 when I was planning my own wedding. And at that time, uh, not much unlike right now, we were in a period of a bit of a recession. And obviously, a lot of people, I think, were going through similar things to me in that they wanted to plan this beautiful dream day that they'd been you know, thinking about their entire lives, that moment where they get to marry their you know, special someone. Mm-hmm. But faced with the realities of how much things cost, it becomes this like overwhelming challenge of like, how do you balance the realistic part of your actual budget with the vision that you have for your day? Yeah. And at the time, there was a lot of people, I think a lot of resources out there that really focused on the more higher end of the market. And even now, I think that's kind of what is shown to a lot of couples, these high-end, opulent, luxurious wedding media. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to create a space for couples who maybe didn't either want to spend that much money on their weddings or, you know, had other life goals and priorities and financial goals beyond the wedding day. So that was really how it got started. And then fast forward to now, actually the book came out three years ago, um, just past its three-year book birthday. Nice. And yeah, it's super exciting. And I think you know, the the best thing to me is just hearing how much that couples have found it so valuable and helping them get really clear on, mm-hmm. you know, what really matters most to them. Yeah, that is awesome. I, that is pretty much, you know, even before I had the book, but just like experience, I sat down with Austin when we got engaged and it isn't just my day. You know, it isn't just the bride's day. As much as we like to think it's just all about the bride. I mean, it kind of is, but still, it really is about you as a couple, right? So, you Absolutely. know, we out 
before we did our budget, you know, what do we care the most about? And, you know, Austin he has no exposure to weddings, like no exposure to planning, no exposure to what things cost. You know, I had to break his heart about a year ago and let him know it's not only it's he thought it was like five thousand dollars to throw like a hundred person wedding. I'm not joking. And I was wow. like, not even close. That uh, we'll pay for like flowers. But we just kind of sat down and talked through it. And I think that, that that helped like take a lot of pressure off us. We knew what we wanted to focus on. So before I steal too much of your thunder, what do you think is is most important? Just, you know, a newly engaged couple, no experience in weddings. You know, they have a little savings, but they, you know, have this dream of having a beautiful wedding. What do you think that they should do from the start? Well, I think the best place really to get started is to sit down together and really just talk through what matters most to you in terms of a wedding celebration. Because at the end of the day, getting married doesn't really require all of the many moving bits and pieces that planning a wedding celebration as we know it Mm -hmm. um, involves. And so especially if you're working with what you believe to be a tight budget, you want to stick to because of other financial goals you have planned for the future. So really the best place to get started is to sit down and talk about all the different aspects of the wedding day and what matters most to you. I've got a really great section at the beginning of the book all about kind of defining what your wedding vision is and what that looks like. I'm talking like the size, the the season, you know, the, the who, what, where, when, how of your wedding. And in some cases, you're going to make some compromises. Maybe something is a little bit more important to you than to your partner. It's a great kind of practice round of like budgeting for your life, making shared goals and priorities and like working toward that shared vision together. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're sitting down with a novice fiance in my case (laughs) who has no experience of like what a wedding even really looks like I mean is there topics you think you should address first like is it the guest list is it the food is like what do you recommend and what have you seen in your experience I definitely think a good place to start is is guest list because that's going to really dictate a lot of the costs involved with producing an event obviously when you have a smaller amount of people, it's a lot less logistics, right? It's yeah, a lot, true. Just a lot fewer costs across the board. Of course, the benefit to that also is you can treat your guests to a nicer experience if you have a smaller guest list. So if you do want something that feels very like lavish, and- yeah, if you want to stick to that tight budget, then you're going to want to potentially keep your guest list smaller so you can create that effect for your guests. Do you feel, and I already know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyways, like social media changed everything? Oh, a thousand percent. I, I mean, sure. this idea of keeping up with the Joneses, Joneses is like so stressful because there are things that I do not care about whatsoever, but in order to make sure that they like my photos still look nice and that people still like enjoy the experience and like it may not matter to me, but I don't want people walking into my wedding and being like, well, geez, her centerpieces look like trash, you know, and like completely like taking it to a different level. I just feel like all this pressure because now the photos, especially they're not just captured in your, your photo book, your wedding book, like they're out for the world, like for the whole world to see, you know, potentially thousands and thousands of people like tuning in to see what you did for your wedding. And that doesn't change that something's not a priority for me. I 
honestly don't care about flowers that much. I don't even really care about food that much because all the weddings I've ever been to, in my opinion, no one's really ever remembered the centerpieces and no one's ever really remembered the food unless it was like outrageously good. You know, they just kind of like there to eat and like if they're fed, they're happy. But still there's like all this outside pressure of like, even though I don't care about it, I feel like I still need to like entertain it on a certain level. So what would you say is a, is a way to help to navigate that pressure that comes from the media and social media? Oh, that's like a therapy question. <laughs> yeah, I know. This is a good therapy session. I told you. I need it. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's so interesting because to your point, I do think that the social media pressure is so much more heightened now, even than it was, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah. And with the rise of like Instagram and everything else, like our parents didn't have this pressure on their wedding day. No. Literally only their closest family probably saw their wedding album. And now, like you said, you're posting it on Instagram. People are sharing and resharing these photos, which of course you paid a lot of money for them and hopefully mm. you love them. So you want to share them on social media as much as possible. But I think when it comes to kind of tuning out all those external sources of pressure and stress, really just, I think, coming back to those values that you and your partner share, getting really clear on what matters most to you, and just agreeing that you're going to stay aligned with the decisions that you're making. You know, like the whole point of setting your values and intentions before you start planning is that so along the way, when you're feeling that external pressure, from maybe it's your parents weighing in because they're contributing a little bit financially or maybe a lot financially to the wedding funds and they want to make you sway in a certain direction that maybe doesn't feel great to you and maybe isn't exactly what you want. It really just helps you to stay the course, Mm -hmm. I think, when you are clear on what matters most to you, what your ultimate goals and objectives are. And if getting married at the end of it is the most important part, then focusing on that and just trying to do what you can along the way to to make things beautiful the way that you want them, but also just releasing some of the pressure from yourself. I think it takes a lot of introspection and like self-reflection and sometimes like putting your blinders on at a certain point. Yeah. How do you figure out your budget? Like how do you, and like I'm asking this because I really need to figure that out. We have a budget Kind of, we do. We have a budget. I'm reading your book. I'm working on it. But I'm going to be honest. We didn't really make a budget until about two months into our engagement because we knew what our priorities were. So like after we had that value conversation, we already booked a couple of vendors because we knew absolutely what we wanted. So like for me, huge priorities photos. Like I'm a photographer. I was, I was going to invest in photography that I'm obsessed with, that I love and that I trust. And I already knew who I wanted. So before I even built a budget, I booked my photographer done because I knew I wanted him. And that was the biggest priority for me. But then we sat down and we were kind of like, okay, like, is this number our budget? Is that number our budget? Should this number be our budget? Should we cut that budget in half? Like, how do you decide what a good budget is? Because, and I've said this before on another podcast, just because you potentially have money to spend, like, does that mean you should Or like what is kind of going into like you're being a little crazy. You don't need to spend that much money or here's ways to be smarter. So I'll I'll stop there. Like how do you even (laughs) determine what a good budget is for your wedding? Well, I think it's good to kind of take a step back and put your wedding and what you're going to spend on it 
in context Mm -hmm. of your other financial goals and plans beyond the wedding day, because obviously you're getting married, you're starting a life together, you're looking at, you know, potentially buying a house together or starting a family, maybe you want to start a business, like, you know, you're, you're joining your life with this person. So it doesn't just like end at the altar, right? That's just the beginning. And you have all this other stuff to plan for in the future beyond the wedding day. And so I think that's a good place to start. And then obviously looking at, you know, what you each have in savings, finding out if your family members are going to be contributing financially to the wedding. And if so, how much there's a whole lot of different conversations that have to happen around that in terms of like, well, are you going to give us a lump sum of money up front to spend how we wish? Or do you plan to pay for certain aspects like of the vendors wedding? Like, and stuff? Yeah, okay. like the vendors or the caterer or the venue, whatever the case might be. And so, you know, basically you have to find out how much you have currently, how much you're getting from external sources, and then potentially, if that's not enough to kind of bring your vision to life, what you can save along the way to add to your budget. and then. Even beyond that, if it doesn't feel like enough to achieve what you want, potentially like, I don't know, starting a side hustle and bringing in some extra money to help fund those splurges if necessary. It really is about what matters most to you. My biggest thing, honestly, is just not going into debt for a wedding because you're just not setting yourself up for success in terms of like starting your marriage off on like a strong financial foundation Mm -hmm. to then go on into your, your life together and towards those other life goals. So you would recommend what you actually feasibly have in cash, like what you have in savings and what you have are getting maybe contributions, like really assessing that first. And then, like you said, what you can kind of save between now and the wedding to contribute. I, you know what, pat on the back then, cause that's what I'm doing. <laughs> Yay. Um, because we, I mean, and obviously I'm not saying drain your entire savings account to pay right. for the wedding. <laughs> right, exactly. Will you be very proud of me? I've actually been saving for my wedding since I was 21. So I'm 28 now. Wow. And yeah, I, I before I ever met Austin, but I just knew, because I, you know, I started you know, out in the Navy and I was making decent money, and but I, I didn't have any obligations. So it's a very easy at that age when you're, you know, starting your career to start blowing it, just blowing it on trips, blowing it on clothes, blowing it on technology, blowing it. And so I sat down, I'm like, okay, I don't want to be in a position where the day I get engaged, I'm like, all right, guess I got to start saving now. Like I'd love to get engaged and then be like, okay, I've been saving X amount of money. Like, let's take a look at it, you know, instead of completely changing my lifestyle so I'm not the professional. I didn't write a book, but I, <laughs> I would say like for those of you who are younger, set as, I, was, I was contributing like $100 a month, I think at the time, you know, or maybe even like $50 a month, I, just starting to tuck away something. And then when I met Austin, I started really saving. So I kid you not. I mean, I knew he was the one within like three or four months of dating. So I called my financial advisor and I started saving like 300 a month and putting it away in my wedding budget. And then now that we're engaged, I increased that, you know, I doubled that, but it, it helped a lot that I had something started that I was able to look at. And I did the same thing with like our house fund and, and things like that. But even so, like that, it's a starting point, which is crazy. Like the amount I saved really 
it helped pay for deposits and things like that, but it's not the full budget. So it right. helps having like a, a starting point, but it's still not, it's still not everything, which is crazy. Well, and at the end of the day, I think a lot of it really depends on the type of wedding that you want to have. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I think especially for couples who are younger and maybe just starting out, you know, back when I had gotten married, I was pretty freshly out of college, still had like a lot of our college friends around. And so it was, it became this thing of like, you are inviting people and the guest list just expands exponentially because you invite this friend and then you have to invite this friend. Oh, you know? yeah. And so, you know, I think depending on what stage of life you're in, like the size of wedding might differ. Also, you know, if you are just like more of a laid back person, maybe you want to have something kind of casual or more DIY, you know, it it really is kind of up to you and your personal financial situation. And I think one of the things that like I try to do on the budget savvy bride and the content that we share on Instagram and everywhere is just like share creative alternatives and ideas to like get something that feels and looks, you know, really nice and semi-professional without necessarily having to hire all professional vendors. I'm not at all discounting like how amazing it is if you can afford to hire all professionals. But realistically, not everyone can afford to hire professionals for everything. And so one thing that I really try to do is recommend, you know, like I said, resources and alternatives to help people find ways to achieve what they're wanting within their own like budget parameters. Yeah. And, and I want to get into money saving tips next, because I know that you have quite a bit of those. And I want to share one of my, my first tips is, and I, I watched a lot of people do this, which is why I'm saying it. It's very tempting to go on the knot and book the number one vendor you see on in everything. So for example, like you go on the knot, the first DJ that comes up that has the most recommendations, that's number one on the knot. The first florist that pops up that has a ton of recommendations that has, you know, a number one review on the knot. Like there's so many people who are like, oh, well, it's number one. It's the first thing that came up. It has a ton. It has 500 reviews. Like that's the one. In my experience, that also means they're the one of the most expensive ones. And I take time to use the knot as like a guide, but I will turn to social media, for example, and I typed in like cakes and I'm getting married in Columbus, Ohio. So I typed in, you know, cakes and bakeries. And of course there was a list of 12, all about $1,500 a piece, all like, like insane. Right. And I was like, $1,500 for a cake. That's crazy. So what did I do? I went on Instagram and I typed in like hashtag I think, so 614 is the area code for Columbus. And so I typed in like 614 wedding cakes. And I found really like amazing local shops who maybe don't have the advertising money to get on the knot or maybe don't have the experience to have all these different reviews, but they're crazy talented. And so I found those florists and those cake shops on Instagram under you know the city that I'm getting married in. And they're a third of the cost, a third, with just as much, you know, talent and expertise, gorgeous cakes, but they don't have the fancy website. They don't have the fancy reviews. They don't have the not account. Like they weren't number one rated in Columbus, but holy cow, they're super talented. So like I'm working with them because I found, I wanted to kind of cut the budget in those areas and 
I think I'm going to be just as happy with my cake, you know, coming from someone who's maybe not number one rated on the app, but hopefully I can get them there with a little <laughs> PR. But yeah, that was just a tip that I saw because I think a lot of people, it's so easy for them to like go on the knot and then just look at the top two and then book one of them. And then their flowers are $6,000 and they didn't know they could find something else that's 1500 or 2000 For sure. And I think you make a really good point. I think a lot of couples maybe don't know, but should keep in mind is that a lot of times those vendors who have the top placement on those listing websites, especially like the mainstream national ones, they are paying thousands of dollars a month for that placement. And ultimately those costs that they're spending in advertising and marketing their business are getting passed down to the brides and grooms and couples who are paying for their services. Wow. Yep. Oftentimes those vendors are going to be more expensive. And yes, it's true. Like a lot of times they do have a ton of experience. Maybe they've been in the industry for a really long time. And you know, there are clients out there who won't bat an eye at what they're charging and that's fine. But that doesn't mean that they're the only vendors who can provide a really quality service for you. And oftentimes doing a little bit of digging and due diligence like you've done by going on Instagram and searching hashtags can be a really great way to find like what I like to call like diamonds in the rough, you know, the mm. ones that are listed and paying, you know, tons of money for marketing their business. You know, I've, I've heard so many couples say between like the, the couples that we interview to feature their weddings on our website, they constantly talk about like how the word of mouth referrals that they received for vendors from, you know, their friends or family or other brides in, in even Facebook groups, you know, like at the budget savvy bride, we have a private community and we also have a, like a really large Facebook group and people are constantly sharing vendor recommendations and things like that. And Oftentimes, like that's how you find those sort of like diamonds in the rough who are more affordable, but can still provide a really quality service. Quick little break as I take a sip from my Clean Simple Eats protein shake. Absolutely delicious. Clean Simple Eats offers a variety of products that are wholesome, nutritional, and offer whatever your body needs. Perfect balance of carbs, proteins, and fats. They have meal plans, proteins, collagen, supplements, clean, simple treats, butters, journals, everything you can need and more. And I am obsessed with their protein. Absolutely obsessed. Best I've ever had. I love their mint chocolate chip, peanut butter, brownie fudge. I mean, any flavor you get is absolutely incredible. Check out Clean Simple Eats in my show notes. Use code Kelly Hall at checkout for 15% off. That's Kelly Hall, K-E-L-L-I-E Hall for 15% off. Thanks, guys. Go fuel your body with what it needs and enjoy clean, simple eats. Absolutely. And and again, I know you have more specific tips, but I'm just so excited to talk about this because I love saving money. I was once upon a time that vendor. I was a, a wedding photographer. And when I first started out, I mean, I, I did it as a side hustle. I, you know, it was just on the side for fun. So I didn't pay for placement. I didn't pay for Yelp. I didn't pay for any of those things. I was strictly word of mouth. But I I was trained. Like I was professionally trained. So I knew the quality of my work was still great, but I did not, because it was a side thing, I did not charge as much as a a full-time photographer. So the quality of my work was definitely a full-time photographer's level, but I didn't charge that much since I was balancing it with the Navy. So my clients would book me and I was $1,200. Twelve hundred dollars for a full wow. an hour wedding day, yeah, and it's a steal. It is a steal, and they were all like, "Wait, what?" And they were, I would hope, because 
they all told me this, but they all were still very happy with the product they received and they didn't pay four grand. And I gave them all the photos. I covered 10 hours worth of photography, but it was all really, I was doing our Instagram and I was doing word of mouth and they were able to find a photographer with the same quality of work as those who were charging $4,500 that wasn't charging that I was charging $1,200. So that's what made me really like go to Instagram to find those diamonds in the rough. Cause I was like, there's people out there who were doing this as a side hustle. They're just as qualified, but just because they aren't doing it full time, like they, they're not paying for those placements. Like you mentioned also like it doesn't take away from like their quality of work you know, like you just keep in mind that they're just as good, even if their website isn't the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. Always, I mean, like always look at their socials because their social, the vendors, if they're keeping up with social media, like that's going to have their most recent work on there. And that's really a true testament of what they're doing even more so than what you're seeing on their website. That's just my two cents because I was that person once upon a time. Um, And it's saving me a ton of money right now too, because I'm going to go through, you know, those diamonds in the rough for my cake and for flowers and for invitations, like, because I know the quality is still there, but I'm not going to pay the same cost. For sure. I think also when it comes to vendors, like a lot of it has to do, especially with like your photographer, people who are really like high touched on the day of your videographer too, if you choose to hire one, a lot of that is really personality driven and how Mm -hmm. you relate and connect with that person because they're going to be with you the entire day of your wedding. I think photo and video are so super important in terms of like your priorities, because that's what you have left to treasure and remember your day long after it's over. But you know, I think it's so important that you jive with, with those people. And honestly, you know, I've had so many brides tell me like they've, you know, gone and inquired with some of these vendors who are listed on these websites and they end up making them feel almost bad that they maybe can't afford what they're charging. You know what I mean? Cause a lot totally. of times there's like a, a lack of price transparency on these websites too. And so sometimes couples have no idea like what type of investment they're getting into. And then it becomes like a, a negotiation or like almost like a scare tactic thing. Well, well, you know, you could probably go find a, a photographer on Craigslist or Thumbtack or whatever like that, right. but they're going to ruin your wedding or something like that. Yeah. I've even seen that a couple of times, like people who, you know, kind of they get back to me and they're like, well, you're not going to find anyone who charges that price for videography or anything like that. And I'm like, mm, I probably will. I might, I might. <laughs> like not everyone's out there charging $5,000, you know, for a good video. But do you have um, specific tips where people can kind of like cut corners or, you know, just be aware of certain areas of their budget? I think one of the things that tends to get folks in trouble, honestly, is the bar. <laughs> Really? Yeah. I mean, like, think about it, like liquor costs markup is like so much. Uh, A lot of times, like those packages, depending on your venue, if it's included in your total venue or catering cost. I mean, alcohol markup is astronomical, like, you know, 75% or sometimes sometimes more, I don't know. And so one one thing that I really like to recommend is if you can find a venue who allow you to supply your own alcohol. And so you can buy it at a discount at like, you know, Costco or somewhere where you can get it in bulk for cheap and not have to pay that markup through the venue. That's smart. You're having me rethink my 
bar option. I have a meeting with our vendors in about two weeks now. So I've got to ask these hard hitting questions. See, I don't know. And it can easily get out of control too. Like Mm -hmm. if you include the liquor. And so another way to kind of bypass some of that, instead of offering like a full open bar, which, you know, is just going to be insanely expensive you could maybe do beer and wine and like a couple of signature cocktails. And that's become really popular. Like each, you know, each of the people getting married will choose their own signature cocktail. So there's like a his and hers or a his and his, hers and hers, whatever the case might be. Yeah. And that's a great way to be able to offer, you know, something a little a stronger, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, have it be personalized and be another like fun, meaningful detail to your wedding as well. I love that. Okay. So other than bar, which is huge, I'm writing that down so I can be aware of that myself as I get ready to move forward. Um, (laughs) I've read a lot about this online and I'm trying to work on it myself. Like there's this stigma that if you don't offer a full bar, like it's wrong kind of. And I'm trying to convince myself that it's not my job to provide them with like the best alcohol in the world, you know, but I just, I almost like still feel, I feel like I have this guilt if I don't do it. And I don't know what that is. Do you see that a lot with like a lot of your, your clients and something similar where they feel like they, they have to provide that service? I think it's, it's a matter of yeah preference, honestly. And like your social circle, you know, might be different depending on the people you hang out with or your family, like what the culture is around drinking um, in your like group of friends. But I mean, I think at the end of the day, like you can't let anybody's like expectations sway you and make you mm-hmm. feel obligated to overspend on something that isn't really a high priority for you. I personally, myself, like I'm happy if there's just like an option for me to drink, but I would never expect someone to just like, I mean, it's, it's great when I've been to weddings that they have had a full open bar. That's very cool and very nice, but I don't think anyone should feel, I don't know, pressured into doing that, especially Mm -hmm. if, if you and your partner aren't big drinkers, if your family's not, but it's maybe more of like worried about what your friends are going to think. I think as long as you give people options, like they're getting to drink for free. So yeah. complain about it, it's kind of on them at the end of the day, you know? Yeah, that is, that's, a, that's very true. And the other thing too is what do you recommend for brides who, like me, dream of their wedding dress, dream of, you know, this amazing statement making, you know, elegant piece. But, you know, when I first got engaged, I was like, break the bank, like it's your wedding dress. And then as Yellow. the months have gone by and I made my budget, I was like, okay, let's think about this. I'm going to be able to have a gorgeous dress that I will find that's not going to be five grand. And, you know, what are your tips for brides who would love to have like this beautiful, stunning dress, but maybe just can't afford it? Well, if you have a specific like designer in mind, I know this might be a little taboo or some people might consider it to be taboo, but there are some great websites where you can browse pre-owned wedding dresses. Mm -hmm from, you know, top designers where you will literally save half off or more on the same dress. If you're lucky enough to find it in your size, like I think that's a really great option. I know we feature a ton of weddings on the Budget Savvy Bride where, you know, brides have gone on nearly newlywed or I think another one is still white. 
There's a lot of different ones out there. And if you're lucky enough to find the dress of your dreams for half off, like why would you pay full price in my (laughs) opinion? So that's a really great way to save potentially, especially if you do have that kind of dream dress in mind. But you could also look at it from the other side and say like, well, I'm going to splurge on this dream dress and then maybe try to sell it after the wedding to recoup some of that money back. But just know you're probably only going to get half if even that yeah. when you resell it. So mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely something to keep in mind and depending on your priorities. But the good thing is, honestly, there are so many great options out there now for absolutely gorgeous dresses, you know, that are a bit more like traditional retailers and not so much like the couture bridal salons where mm. they're really hand making like every single detail of a dress. So it's, it's really totally up to you, but there are ways to save if if you wanted to. (laughs) Something I learned um, actually from like my pageant days is like pageant gowns or like wedding gowns. They're so expensive. They can be absolutely crazy. But my first three years competing in the Miss USA system, my dresses were all sponsored. So I didn't pay for them, but I also was kind of given a budget. So they were all under $1,000, every single one of them. I went on stage and I still felt beautiful and I had a great dress and I looked awesome. And I always placed, I always placed as a finalist. And I would be on stage with these girls who spent thousands, thousands on their dress, like They were, I mean, eating macaroni and cheese for months because they couldn't, they were trying to pay off their dress and they wouldn't even place, you know, and, and it's not to say that there's anything wrong if that's what they wanted and that's what they wanted to do in that moment. That's great. But my point is that you don't need to do it to still feel great and be confident and do well, or, you know, like have that moment. And then my final year, um, when I competed for Miss California, I was like, all right, I'm doing the thing. Like, I'm, I'm not sponsoring a dress. I'm buying my dress. I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to have the experience. And the temptation is always to try on something that's not in your budget. But I didn't even let that happen, which I feel like I've never gone wedding dress shopping. I'm about to. But I feel like there's always that moment where you're like, oh, let's just have a little fun. And you're <laughs> like, ooh, yay. Like, let's just put it on for fun. That's going to be when you fall in love. So I didn't even let them. I was like, my budget is $1,200. That's it. $1,200. Like, give me what you got for $1,200. I don't know of any shop that's not going to have some kind of stunning, beautiful piece for $1,200 or they wouldn't be selling it. So I stayed in that $1,200 budget and still found my dream dress for Miss California in that budget. But I walked around and I saw some amazing dresses, but they were eight grand. I'm like, I'm not even going to do that to myself and put that on and fall in love and find myself in a pickle where I'm trying to like convince myself that I can afford it. So I'm, I'm bringing that same method to wedding dress shopping where I, I didn't even contact stores if they didn't have my budget because I'm like, I'm going to be able to find dress in my budget and I'm going to love it and it's going to be amazing and I'm going to feel beautiful and I'm not going to spend more than that or try my best not to spend more than that. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I think that's a really smart approach, honestly, because Anytime you do end up going in for an appointment, the salespeople are always going to try to get you to go for something a little higher, obviously, especially the ones that work on commission. But I think if you're just really firm in your budget and know that you're not going to let yourself go over it, like that's totally a great strategy because 
you're right. Like the second you try on something that's over, you're just setting yourself up to fall in love with something that is going against what you said you wanted to spend. So it's better to not, not tempt yourself if you can practice that like discipline. Yeah, exactly. I know things definitely change when we pulled out the spreadsheet, did the budget, put the numbers in and we did everything like wedding bands, flights, transportation, honeymoon, like our dream sheet. We did our dream sheet first and our jaws dropped. We're like, oh my God, like that's how much money this is going to cost. And so that we, you know, copied that, pasted it, and then did our, our realistic sheet of like, okay, if we cut this here, cut this there, and we cut it down by like almost $10,000 when we did that with that's great that we wanted all those things, but let's think realistically, maybe we're not going to get our wedding bands at Tiffany's, you know, like we're going to go somewhere else. And we ended up finding them at an amazing small business, like local shop here in Huntington beach that literally would be was half the price. And our wedding bands are absolutely stunning. So I was going to say, I think you made a really good point that I would love to just like reiterate for anybody yeah. who's planning, like, Along the way, as you are spending things, keeping track of what you are spending in a spreadsheet, like honestly, something you can access from anywhere on your phone, like even just a Google Doc sheet or whatever (laughs) that you and your fiance can add to and update as you're spending things. So you get a realistic picture of where you're at and how much you have left to spend, I think is so important because you do all that work to set that initial budget from the get-go. But if you're not accurately tracking everything you're spending along the way, you might end up going over and not really paying that much attention. Right. Yeah. That, yeah, I just wrote on my post note update budget sheet <laughs> because Hey, you know, I feel like everything comes in waves. Like you, you spend a lot up front on booking vendors and things like that, but then there's a couple months where you don't do anything. And then there's a couple months where you do a lot and like, it just, like you said, I need to stay consistent, like update it all. Okay. So we've, we've talked about a lot. We've gone over a lot and I want listeners also to check out your book. I'm going to add it to the show notes and um, also your Instagram and everything else. But what do you think is truly most misunderstood about planning a budget for your wedding or a wedding in general? Well, I think the biggest misconception, honestly, is that it has to be this like big, expensive ball of stress in order to like be beautiful or be what you have pictured in your dreams. I think really just, you know, I I talked about it in this episode. I talk about it in the book, like just getting really clear on like what your values are together, uniting together on what that is and like being a unified front and remembering that at the end of the day, all that matters is like the two of you are getting married. That's what makes the wedding successful. I think that's like what you have to focus on. Absolutely. I reiterating that and thinking about it. I'm, I always try to think to the next day. And I, I think about this because I've been to so many weddings and I've photographed so many weddings and I've been in so many weddings about what you truly remember in those moments. So I'm trying to channel the same thing with, I'm planning all the little details and I'm doing all the little things, but the day after my wedding, what do I really want people to remember? And what are they not going to remember? And I know in my heart of hearts, they're not really going to talk about what was on the table, you know, at dinner. They may talk about the food if it's great, but to be honest, at the end of the day, I don't really want them to talk about the food when they could be talking about how beautiful the ceremony was, how beautiful our vows were, how awesome the music was, how great the dance party was. Like 
those are the things I, I really want people to talk about later. And I'm trying not to let myself get wrapped up in like all the, the table cards and the invitations and the save the dates like have to be just so even down to writing out and addressing my invitations. I'm like, there's a good shot. I'm going to be writing those bad boys myself because I don't know if I want to like pay for a service to do that. By the way, if you have any tips on um, cheap services to address invitations, love to hear about that because I need help with that. We'll chat offline. But all in all, like you said, it's, it's that moment and it's that special day. So I appreciate your words and your insight and all of your tips and tricks. I feel like there's so many more because I'm sitting here with your book and there's just like, pages and pages of spreadsheets and lists. And it's very impressive what you have done here. So thank you. Thanks for coming on the show. How can people find you? Let's share all your information so everyone can get in contact with you. Yeah, for sure. So definitely visit thebudgetsavvybride.com. There's all sorts of fantastic resources there. You can browse real weddings on a variety of different budgets in terms of like, you can literally say, I want to see only $10,000 weddings. And you can see not only samples of them, but also how couples actually spent their budgets. They share their actual budget breakdown. So it can really give you an idea of like how far different budgets can go, which is very helpful. We also have free printables and a whole section, honestly, of wedding deals for anything you could imagine for your wedding from bridesmaids dresses to invitations to beauty products. Like we have tons of great offers where you can save money on things that you need for your wedding. And yeah, we also are on Instagram, like you mentioned, at Budget Savvy Bride. And I also have a podcast with my co-host. Her name is Sari, and she's been working with me for several years. And it's called The Bouquet Toss. And we talk about a lot of similar things, like the wedding traditions and where they came from, so that you and your partner can decide what feels authentic to you and plan a meaningful celebration that aligns with who the two of you are as people. So... Lots of different places to connect. Great. So many resources. Well, thank you so much, Jessica. You have been awesome to drive with. This has been a great therapy session and something as I walk into my meetings with my vendors next month that go dress shopping to keep in mind. So thank you so much. I'm tossing the bouquet metaphorically in my hand. I'm ready (laughs) to do this thing. Thanks, Jessica. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Misunderstood Podcast. I love hearing from you guys and I want you to take a screenshot of this episode, tag at misunderstood.podcast on Instagram and share a takeaway from today's episode. Something you love, something you wanted more of, whatever it is, it helps me learn what you guys want to hear. Please consider leaving a review on iTunes or Spotify. I want to give a special shout out to my friends at Hatch for producing this episode. If you are looking to launch a podcast or if you already have one, you can get unlimited podcast editing by visiting usehatch.fm. That's usehatch.fm. Thanks so much, guys. Until next week, this is your misunderstood Kelly Hall.